0: You are listening to the Sojourn Church Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to view a video version of this message, please visit our website, sojournchurch.org. God's been doing incredible miracles online over these last several months. I don't know uh, how many of you have been... Just doing church online. By the way, welcome all you online viewers. And if you want to give us a shout out, tell us where you're from. I'm sure the church would love to hear that. And they might pick you in the name lottery for a prophetic word. I can't guarantee that, but they said, hey, if you give a shout out to people and we give you their name and where they're from. You can have a word of knowledge. I said, oh, I don't do that. <laughs> no, actually, no, if, if you do, if we welcome you, first of all. But if you want to tell us where you're from, we may give you a shout out, because we love to, to see people online. And, and, you know, God heals people online. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that crazy that Paul put, like, a healing anointing in a handkerchief. They took it to people. They threw it on them, and they got healed. And now you can do the same thing with Zoom. It's so great. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, but I, I, am, I am ready for, I, you know, I believe that. The greatest days of the church are ahead. And one of the things we've been struggling with, this is by by introduction of what I'm talking about today, because I don't have a lot of time um, with you this morning, but tonight I'll have a little bit more time. But one of the challenges that we've had, and if you go back and listen to anything I've said this week, I want to encourage you to listen to yesterday's first session. It was completely by accident. It was I said nothing I planned to say, and so I have complete deniability about it, but I felt like it was probably the most anointed, and I talked about um, where revelation comes from, and it's very important in times like this because we can have a wisdom that comes from an earthly perspective, a, a, a perspective of our feelings And it can even devolve into something that's not God, demonic, James says. But we can have a wisdom that comes from above. It's so important right now because we have gone through an incredible loss in a short period of time. And normally when you experience the kind of loss that the world has experienced, economic loss, um, job loss, which is identity loss, basically, family loss, loss of loved ones, you normally have a process of grief that you go through. Denial, anger, pain, uh, bargaining. Maybe it's some, I'm in the wrong. Denial, bargaining, anger, pain. I don't know which order they go in, but they go like this: denial, anger, bargaining, pain, and acceptance. And you've had, to, you've been forced into. All the stages of grief at once. And that's very difficult when you have the abruptness of change that we've had. And so it it affects us in all ways. It affects us, it challenges our theology. And if you, if your theology of God changes when the world changes, then you really didn't have a theology, you had a worldology, right? And some of our theology has been challenged, but it shouldn't be changed unless it was wrong, you know, unless we needed to tweak our our understanding of God is, and then something else happens is that we begin to hear God through the process that we're in, which is normal, but we have to be sure that our revelation is not confused with our emotion. Our revelation is not confused with our, our natural perspective, and so it's very important because we should have convictions, and we should have opinions, and we have the right to speak the truth in love about those things. But speaking the truth and love about your convictions and your opinions is different than prophetic revelation. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a conviction and opinion. Just don't call it prophecy, right? So if you read something that's truth on the internet, you want to expose the, what, what the evil in, in, a, in the culture, do it, but don't call it prophecy, because prophecy is standing in the counsel of the Lord and receiving revelation from God's perspective, from the throne of God, and then bringing it. It's not reacting to what the world is saying. It's responding to what heaven is saying. It's just different. And so that was a very important session. And I actually said it better than I did in that first session right there. But I'm just saying it's very important because God is raising up true voices today, but there are are a lot of voices that are raised up right now. And you can't tell which ones are prophetic and which ones aren't. So don't go and judge them. Because even Jesus said, let the wheat and the tear grow up together. It's all right. When the fire comes, it'll shake it all out. You know what I'm saying? So, and And that goes true with what we're experiencing. Let yourself go through stuff and let yourself process stuff. When the fire comes, What's pure gold is going to be pure gold, and What's what's not, what's wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up. So like there's some stuff you can't go into your next season. When the fire comes, it'll burn up. Don't worry. It ain't going with you. But if it's pure gold, it'll be purified. You all right? You with me? This is important because whenever we're in moments of abrupt short-term change, you know what they say, have you ever taken those stressor tests, like This number, they give a number for each stressor, change of job, getting, you know, relationship change, having a baby, going on vacation. And they, you can take these tests and they tell you how much stress you're under. Everybody in the world is off the charts in every one of those things right now. And they say, don't make long-term decisions during times of short-term stress. You say, well, that's a world no, Jesus said, hey guys, there's going to be a lot of change coming, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house, there's many rooms and there's room for many. And behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you guys. You know, you guys down south, maybe we're locked down as long as we're. You're not, just tell you, because we went out to dinner last night and I thought someone was going to arrest me. I just were like, (laughs) I should not be inside of a restaurant with people. I literally, we walked in one place, I said to my wife, I have to leave because I was so, I had been so sensitized to being alone that it was like oh my goodness my senses are too overwhelmed i, I felt like i was like HHHD high definition <laughs> like i was like Whoa. if I, it took me literally 15 minutes to adjust but so there's some things you're gonna have to adjust to Because there's a lot more changes coming, honey. So get ready. All right. Take your Bible. That's enough of my psychology talk. But it's actually not. I really just think it's a a spirit of wisdom in the day that we're in. And so let's look at Exodus 33, verse 18. And I want to talk to you about what God's doing in the shutdown. What is God doing in the shutdown? Now, if you've listened to anything I've said this week, and I shared with you my perspective from the beginning of March, where God spoke to me about what we're in, and it's, the Lord said to me, this isn't about a disease, it's not about a pandemic, and I, I, I qualified this with saying, I'm not a medical expert, I'm not an economic expert. I'm not a political expert, but I will say I'm a spiritual expert. And you can't observe an international event that affects health, economy, spirituality, and government without believing that there's a spiritual component to it, right? And so there's a spiritual component to what's been going on. And we as people of God, we have authority. Like we don't have the authority to get up and say, because of the scientific study, you should wear a mask and then, you know, go to a baseball game and not wear it ourselves. I'm sorry. We don't have the authority to say that. <laughs> but what we do have the authority to say is, hey, it's now through the church that God makes himself known to principalities and powers, okay? And I, and I made a sarcastic joke as an exaggeration, not to, not to make a political statement there. I'm actually making an exaggeration to say, hey, we have just as much right, to have a spiritual opinion as people who are experts in economy to have an expert opinion about the economy and they're usually wrong anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like the experts are usually wrong. It's okay. We don't I'm not judging them. It's their it's their learning experience. <laughs> but we are not wrong as the people of God to say the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdoms of this world. Amen. And when the kingdom of God comes, the accuser of the brethren is hurled down. So we're going to look at a time in Moses' life when there were structural changes happening. There was abrupt change. There was even a plague or a pandemic. There was a, a plague among the people. And in Exodus 33, let's just read verse 18, starting with verse 18. And he said please show me your glory or in the, that's a, that's from the new uh, King James in the new in the NIV. It says, then Moses said, now show me your, your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my my back for no one, my face must not be seen. And so what, what we have here in this situation, Moses says, now, everybody say now, yeah. say now, show me your glory. Well, he, why is he saying that? Because he had seen some other things before. What had he seen? He saw the Israelites released from Slavery. He saw the Red Sea part. That was good. But then he saw them have a lack of food, a lack of uh, provision, if you will, a lack of a plan to get out of there. And he had a conversation with God about this. But he also saw something else. He saw when he came down the mountain. He saw that the people had taken the the gold and the silver, the earrings, the jewelry, the resources that were supposed to be acquired to build the tabernacle for God to worship God in the wilderness. They They took those resources and they built a different structure. They built a structure of a golden calf, right? But that golden calf was actually a pattern of a God of Egypt. Now, before you get too hard on Aaron, who was the one who made this, there was, Moses was up on the mountain talking to God and he'd been gone for a while. So Aaron is second in command and he doesn't know where Moses is at. And so he, he's never seen God face to face the way Moses had. He's never talked to him face to face. He's now in charge and the people are saying, Moses is dead. You got to do something. Something about this, and he's like, Well, I need, I know what's gonna help because I've never seen God like Moses has seen God. I've never spoken to him, I've never had the fire come on my face the way Moses had. I've never touched him, I've never felt him, I've never seen him, I've never heard his voice. And so let me make something that the people can see, that they can feel, that they can touch, something that their their senses can be comforted by. And so he fashions. A golden calf. Why? Because it was something they were familiar with. And they patterned it after a God of Egypt. Because, And he looked at it. He didn't say, worship the golden calf. He said, this is your God. This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt. He was actually trying to point people to God by building a structure that was a reflection of the Egyptian structure of worship. It wasn't the tabernacle. It wasn't the true pattern after the tabernacle of heaven. That's the point, that the point of Moses going on the mountain was in Exodus 25. God said, you see what what I've built in heaven, the tabernacle? I want you to build it on earth. So he took him into his council. He took him into the Holy of Holies. Then he said, what you see in heaven? Build it on earth. Sound familiar? Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, that's the way we're supposed to build, right? And so now what do we have? We have the church. In a time of great change, and they don't know what to do. Everything's changed. They're used to worshiping this way. They're used to this persecution. They're used to this, and they're out. They're used to being slaves, and now they're free, and they don't know what to do with their freedom, and so they don't see God. They don't hear God. They can't touch God, so Aaron's just trying to help give them something to point them to God. This is your God, and they begin to worship a golden calf, They weren't trying to worship a pagan deity, they were trying to worship God, but they had the wrong structure to worship the one true God, and it twisted their worship. And so God had to do something about this. He had to change things because the structure had become so much idolatry that he needed to shift it. And So he he takes Moses, first of all, he's he's like, Moses, I'm going to kill them all, I'm done with them. I'm, I'm, you know, he's, and God's like, Moses like, don't do that. And then they're negotiating. And I love this conversation. I think it's the beginning of, it's why Jewish people know how to negotiate really well, I think, because God taught them how to negotiate. And, and I, I, I'm i sure I have some Jewish blood in me. I have friends that say, you have to have Jewish blood. And Sid Roth told me, you have to have Jewish blood in you because you, you know how to negotiate good. I'm like, well, I think it's the Lord, amen. So maybe I do actually. I, maybe I want to take one of those DNA tests, but I don't want everybody to know my DNA. I don't want the... Big brother to know that stuff about me. I'm just saying, I don't trust those companies. So I'd like to know the information. I just don't want you to have it, right? And so, and so now he but Moses is like, he finally convinces God, basically like, first God, and he's say like, no, don't kill him because people will think you're a bad guy. And he's like, okay, well then I'll just, you know, I'll do this. I won't go with you. He's like, no, you have to go. You have to go. You have to go. And what do you think it is that God's doing? Is it God trying to get out of his promises? No. He's trying to see if Moses is willing to let him out of his promises, See, when you're going through a time when it looks like the promises aren't coming, God's not trying to get out of them. He's willing, he wants to know how hard are you willing to fight for this. How much are you willing to fight for this? How much are you willing to believe what I said? How much are you willing? It's, it's not a negotiation. God always wanted to give him the whole deal, but he he's wants to know how much, how, are you willing to settle for less than everything I want to give you? Are you willing to settle for less than everything that God has for you? Because you can settle for less, but let me tell you something. I am not going to settle for less. I am not going to settle for less. Until I see his glory, I won't be satisfied. Until I see his presence, I won't be satisfied. I don't care. I don't want the promised land without the presence. I don't want the promise without the presence. I don't want the glory of man without the glory of God in my life. I don't care anymore. And so Moses, he's like, nope. If your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going up from here. God's like, ding, 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 ding. Right answer, right answer. Now I got you where I want you. Literally, God negotiated him into the place he wanted him. That's exactly it. And Moses, then he says, now show me your glory. What's going on in the camp? while they're having this conversation, the people are under a plague because their structure is being judged. Systems of the world are being judged. And God says, I got to take you, Moses, and I got to put you in another place because if you're around where the systems of the world are being judged, you might become sentimental about those systems because you think those systems are what saved you, but it's not those systems that what saved you. And so he puts Moses in this place It's called a cave. It's a cleft of the rock, which is just a nice word for cave where God closes the exit. I mean, cleft of the rock, and I will cover it with my hand, just means, Moses, I'm going to put you in a cave, and then I'm going to block the exit. That's basically what he said, right? He's in quarantine. He's in shutdown. He's in isolation. While there's a plague outside. See, when I don't know what's going on in the world, I always go back to the Bible. Because if I start to make stuff up in my head, it could go anywhere. But if I go back to the Bible, I'm like, God, show me what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. Here's why I believe this is an analogy for what's going on. Because when Moses came out of the cave, he came out with a pattern of reformation, a new way of doing government, a new way of doing family, new way of doing science, a new way of doing economics that cared for the poor. Justice, a new way of doing justice, immigration, by the way, was involved in those talks as well, being just immigration laws, how to treat strangers and aliens, how to treat the outcasts, how to treat the widows, how to treat nutrition. Total transformation of society, and and, and it happened, the revelation came while he was in quarantine. Could it be that while the systems of the world are being judged, that God put his church in a place that we could actually get away from what we've tried to see and taste and touch. I want a God that I can see. I want to see a God that I can touch. I want a God that I... well, if you really want to see, then you got to get in the dark. If you really want to hear, you got to get in a cave where it's silent. And Moses had a better ability to see, hear, and feel God than the people did with the golden calf. Could it be that there are some ways that we have done church, that we have done worship, that we have structured ourselves, that are a pattern of an earthly way of doing things that God is saying, hey, I want to show you a better way. I'm not criticizing the church. I love the church. Jesus died for the church and I shed a little bit of blood for this thing called the bride too. Okay. So I love the church. I'm not a, Get rid of the church, God's doing a new thing, and it's all about me, me, me. That's not me. But God's doing a new thing, and it's me dying so that his church can live better. Because yeah. Jesus gave his, loved the church, and he gave his life for it. And when you love the church enough to give your life for it, guess what? You can change the church. Yeah. You can't, love, can't change something that you don't love. I'm just saying. Okay, so Moses is in the cave, and I, I want to tell you three things I see him doing and what I see him doing for us, Okay. Because when you are on the inside, God is doing something on the outside. What does this say? Moses, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. And when my glory passes by, when my glory passes by, I'll proclaim my name, mercy upon who I have mercy, compassion, who I have compassion. But it says, I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I remove my hand and you will see my back. Everybody say back. That word literally means the afterward of something. It just doesn't mean you see my back. But actually, after he passes by, what do you see? What happened after he passed by? So while you're on the inside, God's doing something on the outside. His glory's passing by, but I want to talk about what's happening on the inside because something's happening on the inside for Moses. Something's happening in the cave while God is doing something outside of the cave. And believe me, I believe God's been doing something. I believe God's been passing by with his glory. I believe that God's been passing by churches with his glory. I believe he's been passing by our world with his glory. I believe he's been passing by our nation. I believe he's, pa- look, I drove, I got, I got to go down and visit my parents about three weeks ago. It was, my, it was a test to see if I had the arm strength after my accident, I had a motorcycle accident and I was developing arm strength to see if I could drive because I didn't know if I'd come down here. So I couldn't drive through Dallas traffic, right? So I decided I'm going to go straight through New York City, over the George washington Bridge, and everybody shut down, so the traffic was not bad at all. And the sky was blue. There was no pollution. It was as if creation was getting a break, <laughs> like... My goodness, New York City looks beautiful. I mean, it almost felt like I was in Tulsa. That's the way I'm like, you know what I'm saying? When you go to Tulsa, you just feel like the Lord's there. Like, woo! I'm like, wow, this almost feels like God's here, but it's just a lack of pollution. That's how bad it is. and so and so what moses is on the inside what's happening when moses is on the inside what's happening on the moses on the inside is god is doing and i want to tell you i believe there's three things that god's been doing for us as a church let me speak to you as a church as the body of christ at large you as an individual you're discovering what's on the inside is greater than what's on the outside you're discovering that what Ephesians 3 says, it is now through the church that God makes himself known to principalities and powers. That what's on the inside is greater than what's on the outside, and what's on the inside can impact what's on the outside. And when God's doing something on the inside of you, he's doing something on the outside for you. You see, God's doing something on the outside for us, but he wants to do something on the inside in you, with you, for you, in you, change you. You need to come out of the cave different. You need to come out of this change differently. Why? Because you're going to need something called resiliency. Resiliency. That's the first thing he's doing is he's making you stronger on the inside because that's what's gonna allow you to bounce back. When you have resiliency on the inside, you bounce back. In in, in psycho- psychological or sociological terms, resiliency is the ability not to be impacted by someone else's emotional experiences. So someone can flip out on you and you're just chill. You're cool. Why? Because what's on the inside is greater than what's on the outside. It's the ability to go through a situation, go through trauma in your life, but build something up on the inside so that what happened to you on the outside is not greater than what's on the inside. It's resiliency. And actually it comes from the ability to, it's called co-regulation. It's when a child, a parent teaches a child, to soothe itself, it becomes emotionally resilient because it doesn't let the outer circumstances that it has, the outer circumstances that it has affect him. And so emotional resiliency comes whenever a a child is parented in a way that they're not not always taking over, over, over care and they're not ignored, but they're taught to be able to soothe themselves and to know that their parent is there even when they're not there. That's why it's important to not always, you know, co-sleep with your child or whatever, because you want to teach them and plus you want to get some sleep, right? Now, this is important because we have a fatherless society. We have an orphan spirit in society. And so it's caused us to not be able to be resilient. So if somebody says something we don't like, we flip out. And now we have a whole culture that can't regulate itself on social media. And we have a, a prophetic culture that, that responds to what's on the outside instead of what's on the inside. Why is this important? Because from the beginning, what did he say? I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. He was saying that to Moses, who grew up without a mom, who was in a, in a basket by himself, for the first period of his life. A guy who had some trouble with emotions, he killed a slave driver, the Egyptian slave driver, he killed him. A guy who had problems with his emotions, he hit the rock. And God was saying, the first thing I'm gonna do is put you in a cave and I'm gonna declare, I will have mercy and I'll have compassion. That word compassion means to hold a baby like the way a mother holds a baby in her womb. What was God saying? Moses. You're on the inside of me. Moses, I'm holding you. And some of you, like the cave was a womb where Moses was being gestated. He was being prepared for his next season of birth. And God has been preparing you for your next season of birth. You're going to bounce back. I don't know what you lost. If you lost a job, you're going to bounce back. If you lost a loved one, you're going to bounce back. If you lost your ability to believe in God, to believe in Christianity? Let me talk to somebody out there. Maybe some of you have been hurt by the church. Maybe they didn't feel your racial pain. Maybe they didn't feel maybe that you were racial profile. You didn't feel like you were hurt. Can I tell you something? What's on the inside of you is greater than what's on the outside of you. And some of you maybe felt like maybe the government hasn't responded well. Can I tell you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the Congress than he that is in the senate than he that is in the whatever department that you don't like (laughs) greater is he that's in you somebody say i'm gonna bounce back (laughs) see i'm gonna are you gonna bounce back greater I'm telling you, you're going to bounce back. Come on. Let me tell you, I preached a message at the beginning of January, the first Sunday of January at my home church called From Empty to Epic. From John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you and have a life and life to the full. And I preached about how this year we were going to go from empty to epic. Do you know within about 30 days of that, a little less than 30 days, my daughter totaled her car, hit black ice, totaled her car, I was actually preaching part two of that message that morning. I drove by an accident scene, and I realized it was my daughter and pulled over. And then I had to go preach part two, from empty to epic. Thank God she walked away without a scratch, but car total. About 30 days later, shutdown happens. Normally for me, and I'm sure Robbie too, scheduled a year in advance, 50 events. Every year we turn down probably about the same, Turn down 50 events. 50 events canceled. When normally I turn down 50 events. Empty. <laughs> it's epic. A couple weeks later, I get a call. I'm riding my motorcycle. I see my sister's number come up. I get home as soon as I can. I pick it up. She said, I'm trying to bring Jeff back. Her husband and her whole family have been struggling with what they thought maybe was the virus for a couple weeks. And he succumbed. His, it hit his heart. And she was trying to revive him. I'm on the phone with her. I'm calling him back in the name of Jesus. And she's trying to bring him back with CPR. And I'm there when the paramedics come and he's pronounced dead. Empty to epic. A month later, I'm riding on my motorcycle and then (laughs) I hit some sand that's on the road and I missed an hour of my life. I, I, I literally woke up in the hospital. I had an accident, woke up in the hospital, I, at least an hour is missing from my memory. And all I remember is a nurse behind me going, sir, are you from here? Where are you from? I said, I'm from here. Why? She said, because you've been talking out loud in a language I've never heard before. And, and, and I said, well, that's, I'm a, I think it was the medication that made me so loopy. I said, I'm a Christian. That's my heavenly prayer language. And then <laughs> the conversation stopped there. <laughs> Until we got up to my room, I got to an hour later in my room on the seventh floor. She's my floor nurse and she's taking notes in her computer. And I said, your voice sounds familiar. Were you downstairs? She said, yeah, I was your emergency room nurse too. And I said, oh, are you the one that asked me what the language I was speaking in? She said, yeah, people say weird things when they're over medicated. And she said, and I said, no, I said, I'm a Christian. God speaks to me. And she said, okay, sir. She still thinks it's medication. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you have a daughter? She said, yeah. I said, is she eight years old? She said, who are you? I said, she's really creative. She likes to draw pictures like cartoon characters. She said, this is scaring me. I said, don't be scared. Jesus loves your daughter. In fact, she, her greatest creativity is she's musical. She took piano lessons. She stopped taking piano lessons because the teacher was really hard on her. But God loves when she plays the piano and sings. She cries. And I introduce her to Jesus. Listen, I'm not that smart. I'm not like that good. I'm not that resilient. But at that moment, what was on the inside was greater than what was on the outside. Can I tell you, you're going to bounce back. Come on. Look at somebody and say, you're going to bounce back. Because you have something greater on the inside of you. Here's the the second thing that God's given you. God is giving you adaptability. I'll call it the prophetic pivot. (laughs) I used to call it getting bored really quick. You know, uh, we have a joke. I'm in the prophetic community. We just get so bored. We keep prophesying a new thing. Like we're just, we're really just bored people. So we don't like the normal, we don't like what's going on. So we just prophesy a new normal. And guess what? A lot of people say, there's a new normal. There's a new normal. There's a new normal. I'm like there's not a new normal. Well, let me define normal. First, if you say the new normal is just a new constant. No, the new normal is nothing's going to be normal anymore. Like the new normal. So don't think the new normal is a new constant. That's what I'm saying. Don't look for the new constant. The new normal is adapt, pivot, adapt, pivot, adapt, pivot. Why? Because we're in a moment of supernatural creativity. And, and, and here's what you have to do in this moment of, of adaptability. Moses had to adapt. He had to get rid of Like, the things that we used to do don't work anymore. So you're going to have to adapt the way you do family, adapt the way you do community, adapt the way you do government, adapt the way you do money, adapt, 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 adapt. And, and the key to adaptability is actually not just, <laughs> it used to be, don't be afraid of failure, you know, learn to fail forward. No, you need to fall in love with failing. Like, failure is your best friend. You know why? Because when you're a moment where as soon as you change, other stuff changes, and then you have to change again, and then other stuff changes, you're going to constantly be plagued with saying, I just messed up. I just missed God. I just failed. I, I, let me tell you something. In the last five years, I've tried 10 things that didn't work. I beat myself up over the first nine, and then finally I realized, wait a second. I was learning what I'm good at and what doesn't work, right? Now, can I tell you something? In the last four months, I've tried 20 things that have failed, and I've loved it. I'm like, wow, I can't wait to find my next failure. Because as soon as something works, you want, to make it the, you want to make it your golden calf. Thank you for listening to the Sojourn Church podcast. For more messages or content similar to this, please visit our website. If you would like to support our ministry, please visit the first link in the show description or visit sojournchurch.org.